You're listening to DraftKings Network. In other words, it seems like one of the greatest deals in history for Barstool Sports gets to keep the money. Keep the money. Keep the half billion dollars and they get back their company. Just go away. Keep the money. Go away. We're done with you. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, Andrew Brandt. We are presented, as always, by DraftKings. Produced by Jack Connell, musical producer. That music you hear under us is Sam Brandt, at Boy Blue Tunes, my music producer son. Hope you guys are having a great week. A lot going on in the business of sports. We're gonna. I got a lot of topics to go through, including college football implosion, including the NFL strengthening as if they needed to, their conduct policy. And then some. we're going to do a little feature we sort of are, are, have done in different ways, but I'm going to call it Brant's Bits, kind of quick hits on some topics as we finish out this short podcast every week to get you up to speed on insights, information, unique perspective, hopefully that you don't get anywhere else. The one thing I like about this podcast that I hear from your comments where you can always put on Apple Podcasts, wherever you hear your podcasts, comments, and ratings, is that it is unique. You don't hear this insight. You don't hear this introspective from other places, and that is what I try to do. So I hope that's working. Let's start right away with sports betting. Uh, This huge announcement yesterday, Tuesday, August 8th, or was it August 9th? (laughs) Today's August 9th. Tuesday, August 8th, we hear that Penn Entertainment... A company that's big in casinos, that's big in sports betting operations in 15 states throughout the country, is buying, if you will, ESPN's branding to create something called ESPN Bet. Get to the details in a second. First, some background. There's no area of sports law, sports business that has undergone as big a change as sports betting. I say this often. I will continue to say it. I say it to you, my podcast listeners, I write about it, I teach about it. Virtually every semester, there's something new where you raise your eyes and say, oh my God, remember when, remember when sports betting was completely taboo for sports leagues, for sports teams, and for sports media. Remember when, 2014, Tony Romo wasn't allowed to go to a fantasy football convention in Vegas. Remember when uh, NFL teams used to discipline for any connection to sports betting, and they still do with making bets. Remember when Pete Rose was banished from the sport of baseball for making sports bets. This is all out there. Now it's all changed. Leagues and teams, although they don't allow players, have embraced it and embraced it fully. So where we are on the sports media betting landscape is this. Penn entered into an agreement a couple years ago with staggered payments to Barstool Sports. A lot of you know Barstool Sports, kind of a bro mentality towards sports. 
started by Dave Portnoy, has been very successful. I raised my eyebrows, as did many, about that merger. Penn's a pretty conservative operation. I know people there. They're based in Pennsylvania, obviously, with the name. They do casino management, basically. They run sports, not sports, but casino management. As I said, in 15 states, what did they want to do? Well, they wanted to brand Barstool, obviously appeal to a younger audience, bring in new eyeballs, bring in new people to the product, and have these, I suppose, Barstool sports books that would be in the 15 states where they have casinos. And they took on the brand, including Portnoy and everything, and they paid upwards of half a billion of dollars to do this, half a billion dollars. It failed. <laughs> From their perspective, it failed. They didn't get traction. Barstool didn't seem to get much out of it. And lo and behold, before we get to ESPN replacing them, they have basically given back Barstool to Portnoy, and it seems like for free. In other words, it seems like one of the greatest deals in history for Barstool Sports gets to keep the money. Keep the money. Keep the half billion dollars, and they get back their company. Just go away. Keep the money. Go away. We're done with you. Now, what do they get? They get some of the revenue undisclosed if, in fact, Barstool sells elsewhere or it activates a sale to someone else, even a partial sale. Now, you have Portnoy saying, we're not going to sell. That was a failed experiment. It didn't work. I'm not selling. I'm owning 100% of Barstool forever. So where Penn comes out on the Barstool deal before we get to ESPN is that, oh, my God. We just gave away half a billion dollars and we have nothing to show for it. Nothing. It's over. There is no bar school, barstool pen merger anymore. So that's one. Now, what does pen do? Well, if it didn't work with barstool, we'll go to a much bigger brand, pay a lot more money, and see what happens. They are paying a billion point five over 10 years to ESPN with another 500 million in committed stock warrants that vest over the next 10 years. I'll repeat that. A billion five and 500 million of stock warrants that vest over the next 10 years coming from Penn Entertainment, which just spent half a billion for Barstool, to ESPN. And ESPN will essentially replace Barstool. And here we go. <laughs> this is going to be the new Barstool Pen. It's now Penn ESPN. And they will brand it as ESPN Bet. And this is something where we're going to see, I would think, sports books in the locations we just talked about with Barstool, now branded as ESPN Bet, using the name of that. Now, it's going to be fascinating to see a bunch of things. One, what is going to be the content integration between Penn and ESPN? When ESPN does their lines, when ESPN talks about sports betting, which they obviously will, is that going to be in a Penn casino? Is that going to have content integration on the crawl with the odds brought to you by Penn? Is there going to be Penn branding throughout ESPN sports betting content? We're going to have to see that. Now, the elephant in the room in all of this, and I'm full disclosure, this is being brought to you by DraftKings, is the duopoly out there. The duopoly between DraftKings and FanDuel, they were smart. They saw this coming. They got way ahead of the 2018 Supreme Court decision that basically legalized sports betting in states. 
And by 2015, they were, they were inundating us with media, with advertising, with marketing spends on, among other places, ESPN. And basically, their goal, in my mind, was to get mind share, to get market share in the, in the DFS world, daily fantasy sports. And they went through all this litigation. They went through all these fights. But by the time legalized sports betting, real betting, not just fantasy, came into place, they were in everyone's mind. And they have capitalized on that, obviously, with all of their continued marketing spends on podcasts like this everywhere and in sports books, FanDuel Sportsbook, DraftKings Sportsbook. According to different reports, they have 70 to 80% of market share. And all these other uh, betting operations that have come and failed have gone away. Again, MaximBet, Fubo Sportsbook, Churchill Downs Sportsbook, The Score Sportsbook, and most recently and most appropriately, FoxBet has come and gone. Fox did the same thing that ESPN's doing. Fox bet. That's gone. Now we'll see what happens with ESPN. So this is a big bet. And pardon the pun, it's a big bet by Penn and by, frankly, by ESPN to see where this thing goes. It's going to be different. It's not going to be Barstool. ESPN's a lot more mainstream. They're owned by Disney, for God's sake. They're not going to be like Barstool. But what a year for the worldwide leader. They've continued to lose scale, of course, with the cord cutting, with so many multiple options of content viewing. They have laid off tons of on-air and off-air talent, and they're reportedly seeking a potential equity partner in the business. So this is the latest salvo that ESPN is taking a new course. Listen, it's going to be fascinating to watch. It's a huge story, but it has more questions than answers. In some way, in a much different context, similar to Live and similar to PGA, that merger, it's like, what's going to happen here? We still don't know with that one. And uh, I just witnessed the Live event for three days. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But wow, Uh, this is a big merger. (laughs) And is it a merger? No, it's just really a sale, but it's really paying... $2 $2 billion over 10 years for branding because ESPN's, you know, people don't know what Penn is. Penn wants to get younger. They tried Barstool. Now they'll try ESPN, get a more mass audience. All right. I just mentioned Liv. Let me just talk quickly about that. I have a home near the Greenbrier Resort. Over the past couple of weeks, we had the Browns here and then we had the Liv tour. Uh, and because it's a, a bit of a difficult location for people to get to, because it's a different atmosphere, I got up. I bet I got inches away from these golfers just walking the course, inches away from Mickelson, from Dustin Johnson, from Brooks Kepka, from Bubba Watson, and from Bryson DeChambeau, who I watched shoot this round of 58. Listen, I'm a novice golfer. I think I'm trying to get better. I'm doing reps, but it's a different game. I mean, there's 600 yard par fives. They're getting on in two, in two, in two shots. And that doesn't seem to, you know, be a surprise to some people. To me, it's like, it's a superhuman. It's a different game. When you see the top level of a sport up close, it's a totally different game, whether it's golf, tennis, football, whatever it is. So that was quite a scene, seeing that. Uh, For people who ask, I did not see any Saudi presence at all, at all. I saw extraordinary... um, 
what's the word, logistics of people putting this tournament together and now, as we speak, taking it down. Logistics were overwhelming, but it's all contracted with American companies that do this. So again, whether you like it or don't like it, it's no Saudi presence at these events. It's just golf. And in terms of golf, very different. You know, of course, there's music. And I could hear the music starting at 7.30 every morning. But it created some energy. I likened it to being at a running race, a road race, a triathlon, which I've done, where the music starts early, gets you pumped up. They had a a guy talking all morning, getting you pumped up, playing highlights from previous tournaments. And then the team concept, you know, the idea that these guys are part of teams. I think that's where it's going. So I talked about this before, but let me just emphasize this. Talking to live people, you have to take everything with a grain of salt because they're on one side of it. But the feeling I get is the future of golf is not going to be more PGA-like. It's going to be more live-like. Again, the future of this yet-to-be-named entity, this merged entity between the PGA Tour and the Live Tour, will, according to what I've been told, look more like live than PGA. And I know what you're saying. Oh, no, it's got to be PGA, and Monaghan's still there, and board members are PGA like Tiger Woods. But you know what I always say, the, per- the, the, the mantra of sports business podcasts like this? Follow the money. And the money is saying it's, it's the live tour. You know, that's where the money is. I mean, these guys are making extraordinary amounts. Taylor Gooch is in, is in first place overall with the standings. He could make, if he continues that over the next three or four events, whichever it ends, he can make something like $40 million this year alone, plus whatever he got to come to live. His total earnings on the PGA Tour are like $3 million. I mean, you can't compete with that. And that's what PGA found out. They can't compete. And they raised these purses to $20 million over the past years. According to what I'm hearing, and again, this is the live side, they're bleeding money. So this all points to the fact that live is going to look a lot more, I'm sorry, the tour is going to look a lot more like live in the future than like PGA. And the other thing I'm being told is when these superstars came over, and join these teams, four-person teams, 48 golfers, 12 teams. They're given equity in the teams, some as high as 25%. I'm sure that went to Mickelson, probably Kepka, DJ. And these teams will eventually, as the plan goes, be sold. And they could be sold for, who knows, a couple hundred million, more, a billion dollars. And then that head lead golfer, those big names that not only got the big bonus, not only are earning more money now, not only got the huge, huge millions and hundreds of millions to come in, we'll get equity when it's a sale. And then these teams will be like NFL or NBA NHL teams where they compete as part of a league and they're owned by individual billionaire, multi-billionaire owners. Again, take this for what it's worth. It's coming from one side, not the other. But these are fascinating things that I heard being around the live tour. Okay, we'll see where it goes after talking about these two sales-slash-mergers in the past 20 minutes. I think you see this. You know, follow the money. The money is going to do this, whether it's Penn and ESPN, Live and PGA. Okay, let's move to college football. College football has in, in the conference the out on the West Coast that I was part of for four years is imploding. The Pac-12 
was already going to be the Pac-10 in a year because UCLA and USC defected to the Big Ten for that big TV deal that's getting a billion dollars a year starting next year. Then it went to the Pac-9 a couple weeks ago. Colorado, Deion Sanders, the star factor there, is lured out of the Pac-12 into the Big 12. Then it goes to Pac-9. Then, the big, speaking of the Big 12, they were able to lure the Arizona schools last week. Arizona State and Arizona. Now we're down to the Pac-7. And one more going to the Big 12, that would be Utah. Now we're down to the Pac-6. But not to be outdone by the Big 12, the Big 10 comes back in and takes the Pacific Northwest big teams. They take Oregon and they take Washington. And in 2024, they will join, as USC and UCLA, the Big Ten. So now we're down to the Pac-4. My alma mater, Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, and Washington State. Obviously, a year from now, we won't have a Pac-4. There will be some kind of further shakeout where those teams end up in pick-a-name, ACC, Mountain West, uh, Big Ten, maybe Stanford and Cal, maybe something else. So why is this happening? Well, it's happening because of ESPN, Fox, CBS. The money in sport, college sports, the lifeblood of revenue comes from media. We know that. Media revenue is everything, and that is driving this. When the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big 12 the ACC can go to their networks upon renegotiation and say, we can bring you this, UCLA, USC, LA. We can bring you the Pacific Northwest, big power schools. We can leverage that into bigger TV deals and thus bigger money for our members. And they're bringing in these teams saying, you will get X share of the media revenue right away, sometimes a full share. Sometimes it'll take a couple of years to get a full share. That's where we're going and that's where everyone's looking. What happened to the Pac-12? Well, they waited out what they thought were going to be better TV, better media landscape, and it backfired. The money went away. The money went to other conferences. They were waiting for something, and what they considered before moving, at least schools like Arizona, Arizona State, Washington, Oregon, etc., what they considered to stay was it looked like a streaming-only deal, similar to the MLS, with Apple, where it would be a lot of money, but streaming only. And these old university presidents, they don't even understand it, it sounded like, in terms of what the Oregon guys said. So they moved. They moved to traditional media deals with Big Ten, with Big 12, and we'll see what happens. I Obviously, this is not happening for a year. It's going to be interesting, this lame duck year for eight of the Pac-12 schools. Think about that. Eight of three quarters, sorry for my math, two-thirds of the Pac-12 is in a lame duck year in the Pac-12. So that'll be interesting. But then, of course, a year from now, we may know in a, in a week's time, Stanford and Cal and Washington State and Oregon State will be somewhere else. Will the Pac-10 die? Pac-12, Pac-8, Pac-4, whatever? Maybe there'll be some other conference, or maybe just go away. That seems to be where we're heading. It's happening because of money. It's happening because of media revenue. That's the name of the game. And from a fan's perspective, I'm not sure people care. You know, even as a Stanford alum that's going to follow Stanford football, I'll follow them wherever. You know, Oregon, Washington fans, they'll follow them. 
<laughs> they know UCLA, USC fans. They'll follow them. They don't care where they play. It's for travel, yeah. It's for rivalries, yeah. Now they're national conferences, just like the pros. And then that brings me to my final point on this. College football is not amateur at this level. College football is not pro because they're not employees. They're not getting paid by the school, allegedly. They're, not, they're getting paid NIL, but that's coming from other sources. So college football is in this no man's land right now. It's not amateur, certainly, and it's not pro. It's kind of in between. So what I think was going to happen, I've said this many times, the NCAA is going to be responsible for, say, 80% of sports, 90% of, of NCAA athletes, student athletes. But the other 10%, this upper tier of college football and even an upper tier of college basketball on the men's side, it's not NCAA. Now, it's going to be more difficult with basketball because the March Madness, and that is NCAA money, but there's already a great degree of autonomy in the Power Five conferences in football. That will increase. So I predict in five years we will not have the NCAA governing college football at this level. There will be some other body governing college football, and then they'll have to deal with NIL and boosters and collectives and all the abuse. Chip Kelly, the UCLA coach, just said it in a quote the other day. You know, whether it'll matter that he's Big Ten or Pac-12 in recruiting. He said, no, the only thing that matters is the NIL package. They'll go with the most money. I mean, that's the quiet part out loud. That's happening. That will happen. So the Pac-12 is, is imploding, but it'll take a year. And yes, we won't have a Pac-4 next year. There'll be some other mechanism where Stanford, Cal, Washington State, and Oregon State will play. Okay, next topic. Very quietly... The NFL changed, strengthened, bolstered, emboldened its personal conduct policy. How does this happen? Well, the NFL decided it wanted to happen, and voila, we have a new personal conduct policy. Where were the players? Who knows? Where was the union? Who knows? Was anyone fighting this? Who knows? But they revised their policy to give the commissioner even more power, the changes were made in light of a few things, allegedly, I guess, because they're embarrassed that Deshaun Watson played last year. While we have so many year-long suspensions for gambling and otherwise, we have Deshaun Watson out there playing six games after a pattern of behavior that even their disciplinary officer called predatory with tens, dozens, even 50-plus massage therapists. What kind of changes are we talking about? It Well, they expanded the definition of sexual assault. So it can be, you know, it's basically in physical force against someone incapable of giving consent or threats or coercion. It used to be six games, but mitigating factors. Now it's six games or more or indefinite suspension with a second violation banishment from the NFL. So anyway, what they're trying to do is not allow someone like the disciplinary officer to rely on this six-game thing to make it where there are no limitations. This, you know, she was hesitant to go above six games. She shouldn't be anymore, or the disciplinary shouldn't be anymore. The other part of this, where Judge Robinson seemed to rely on Deshaun Watson's cooperation, now the NFL adds a line, cooperation with any league investigation is required, cooperation alone is not a mitigating factor. In other words, Deshaun Watson or someone, the next Deshaun Watson has to cooperate. So if they don't, obviously there are penalties for that. But if they do, 
that's not going to slow down a bigger suspension. It's required. Okay? The third thing is that you can have discipline for someone who had bad conduct, misconduct before entering the NFL. This is a major change. We've never allowed the NFL to discipline a player for pre-NFL conduct, meaning conduct done before he's drafted. That's now allowed. It was added to the policy. It says, nothing in the policy shall limit the league's authority to investigate or discipline potential policy violations occurring before the players under contract or draft eligible. Oh my God. So the NFL can now discipline for bad behavior in college, bad behavior theoretically in high school, bad behavior between college and the pros when you're training at the combine, whatever. Now this isn't opening the door for more discipline. It's like, who cares about these kids? Well, obviously the union's not protecting them. This, if it was still in place then, it was in place, you could discipline Joe Mixon, Tyreek Hill, Frank Clark. Um, today, the, This year's 10th pick, Jalen Carter with the Eagles. This is added to the policy. And then the owner side. Now, the, you know, there's a lot of arguments that the owners are double standard and they should be treated. And the, the, there wasn't similar uh, discipline or even... Uh, attention to when Jerry Jones did something or Daniel Snyder or Jim Ursay or Robert Kraft's misadventure. Well, now that's taken out. Like there is no double standard because there's language now saying the, the language that's saying owners and club personnel also held to a higher standard. That's gone. That's gone. The owners decided, yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> so they took it out. And again, where was the union? Where was, I don't know. And the last thing is a, a, a disclosure. You know, they added that, that players have to disclose potential violations um, before signing contracts with them. Like if they did something that may bring a potential violation of conduct policy before signing with the team, they have to let them know. I mean, this is sort of in light of Antonio Brown signed with the Patriots years ago uh, where he knew of threat and litigation about his personal misconduct. And he didn't let him know. I guess Robert Kraft went to the commissioner or whoever and said, we got to get that in there too. And they did. So the NFL player policy, player personal conduct policy has been strengthened, harshened, hardened, made stronger, made more robust just because. <laughs> it's like the NFL owners, they, you know, they're, they're rubbing these running backs noses face in it. They're, they're getting their way on the contracts, even the big ones. Speaking of Deshaun Watson, no one's followed that up. It's like, wow, they just keep making it more land grabs against the players. It continues. It's striking this NFL personal conduct policy, allegedly done in February under the cover of darkness quietly. And we don't know if there was any involvement of the union or they just ignored them and put it through saying they don't need to be involved. This is our policy. It's not collectively bargained, and it wasn't. And if it was, shame on the NFL. They just let the NFL do whatever it wants on this. This is why when you hear things like, well, they need to create a fund for running backs or treat the running backs differently, carve out something in the CBA. Are you kidding me? These owners are barely let them have a popsicle. You know, so, uh, you know, for, the, for the play, someone to think the players are going to get something in bargaining for the running backs without giving up something else, which they have very little to give if they have anything to give. Okay.
enough on that. The NFL strengthens its conduct policy again in light of, I guess, being embarrassed that Deshaun Watson only got six games later um, negotiated to 11, but not a full season. Okay, before I go, some quick hits. Let's do some quick hits. We'll call them Brant's Bits. We'll try to incorporate these in the podcast every week. Brant's Bits. Number one, U.S. women's soccer team. Okay, listen, this is the problem with high expectations. Uh, There were no higher expectations on a national team, maybe in any national team in recent memory, including basketball, who's not sending, obviously, the best pros, than the U.S. women's national team. And they didn't get up a group stage, and there's blowback. Listen, I'm not jumping on them at all. They've been a, a wondrous story, and I covered the equal pay discussion for years. I had Jeffrey Kessler on this podcast talking about it. I had uh, one of the players on with him talking about it. I've been supporting their equal pay fight for years, but this is what happens with high expectations, and this is what happens with media. They put you on a pedestal, and when things go south, they take you off. Now, I don't want to play politics on that. It seems to be coming from a lot of one side of politics against the team, but this is what happens when you put yourself out there. You're going to take the heat. So I feel for the U.S. women right now where they're taking some heat on this loss. But this is the problem. This is not just limited to sports. It's like when people are put on a pedestal, when they become media darlings, when it doesn't go for them, that's a problem. Okay, second bit. Mike Vrabel, love it. Mike Vrabel, the head coach of the Titans, is letting an assistant head coach and D-line coach, Terrell Williams, coach the team in the preseason game on Saturday night, makes so much sense. First of all, great exposure and opportunity for Williams. Oh, excellent. Wonderful. More broadly, why don't every team do this? Why doesn't every... This makes so much sense. Every player out there virtually is a backup, trying to get reps, trying to earn an opportunity, if not with that team, then with another. That's exactly what we should do with coaches. Give them the opportunity when else are they going to get the opportunity to lead the team? Let them do it. Now, we've had this before with different people calling plays in games, but this makes so much sense and should be done by every team. Don't tell me even young coaches should do this. It makes so much sense. The NBA Summer League does this. We don't even see a lot of head coaches out there, and we sort of accept it. Why not preseason games? Preseason in the NFL is similar to NBA Summer League. Most of the players out there aren't making the team at certain levels. And at least for a half even, let the guy let let another guy be a head coach. Why not? Makes so much sense. Okay, next Brant's bit, uh Johnny Menzel documentary. Haven't seen it, seen some clips. The clip that caught my eye was I watched Zero Film with even his agent saying that. As if, you think? <laughs> One of the worst players in the first round in NFL history, one of the worst picks, a quarterback that had no ability to read coverages, didn't read film, and knowing what we know about Johnny Menzel, of course. I would have been shocked if it said I studied hard and still didn't make it. Come on. That was not a revelation, (laughs) that Johnny Menzel doesn't watch film. Okay, great. We learn. The fact that there's there's a documentary on this guy you know, to me, it's like, come on, why do we reward that? Why do we reward that? A partier, not a hard worker, got away with it in college, couldn't get away with it in the pros, somehow was a first pick for the Browns, 
If it was indeed true, I wouldn't put it past that a homeless guy told him to pick Manziel. Just horrible. Horrible. Okay. Switching sides, my other final Brant's bit is about someone I've known since he was a freshman at Villanova, Josh Hart. Just news today, an $81 million extension with the Knicks will pay him a total of $94 million through 27-28. Love it. I've known this guy for a long time. He is a kind of blindside story where he grew up in D.C., went to a private school, had some problems, was basically taken in by a family that I know well. That family helped him out. He came to Villanova. He has two sets of family. He has his original family, which he's still very close to and always shows up. And then this family that took him in in high school, who is best, who is calls his brothers, who are sons of that family and are similar ages to Josh. Couldn't happen to a better guy. Just see a, a very, um, he's now a father, of course, just a very kind person that had no ego that was at Villanova, considered an okay player, and I just saw so much potential, potential as everyone did as he progressed. I sat with Josh as he picked an agent years ago. He went with Rock Nation, where his guy actually switched sides later, went from Rock Nation to the Minnesota Timberwolves, so he moved to CAA, and CAA did this deal. So kudos to my friend, and someone I've known a long time and watched his progression, Josh Hart. Okay, all this and more will be in the newsletter, uh, andrew-brandt.com if you don't get it, the Sports Business League where I do these daily videos about this, andrew-brandt.com, SBL, or just go to sportsbusinessleague.com. Sign up there. As I said, Apple Podcasts and rankings, comments, always appreciated. If you want to support the podcast, andrew Brandt. Uh, dash 20 at Venmo. I appreciate everything you do. And my Twitter, Andrew Brandt, my Instagram, where I do the reels, Andrew Brandt too. Thanks to Jack Connell, our producer. Thanks to Sam Brandt, our musical producer. Thanks to you for listening again and share it with a friend. Hope you find this podcast truly unique compared to what else is out there in the vast world of sports podcasts. Have a great week. I'll see you next week on the business of sports with Andrew Brandt.